Luke 23, 13, 25. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and the other religious leaders along with the people. And he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point and in your presence, and I find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls us for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him, and release Barbarus to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with him because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder, but he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were crucified, one on his left and one on his right. Jesus said, Father, forgive him, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And so the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself, for if he is really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him, too, mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. The sight was, a fa- was fastened above them, and the words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saying yourself, saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to death? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light came from the sun, was gone. And suddenly, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. Thank you for the reading, guys. Good job. It's a long passage of Scripture, but it's important to have all of that in order to get the message today. I've been speaking to you about characters at the cross. We've talked about various ones last Sunday. Um, The past two Sundays, I've preached sermons about which I've never heard sermons. Uh, Simeon of Cyrene, week before last, last Sunday, the women at the foot of the cross. And today we're talking about various characters at the cross. Uh, Next Sunday, of course, is Resurrection Day, and we're promoting Return and Renew on Resurrection Sunday. But today I want to finish the series on characters at the cross by talking about three three criminals and a centurion at the cross. First of all, 
the first criminal. And I, I know everybody, I say three criminals, and they say, no, there was only two. Basil, one on either side. No, you forget Barabbas. Barabbas is often the forgotten criminal of the cross. We're talking about Barabbas upon whose cross Jesus died. It says, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Okay, so who was Barabbas? Uh, look at his character. He is described as a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Bar Barabbas was a criminal. He was in prison during all the time that this trial was taking, taking place. He had rebelled against the Roman government. He had started an insurrection against the Roman occupiers of Israel. Now, that probably made him popular with the Jews, but it certainly made him unpopular with the Roman government. At the same time, he was not just the leader of an insurrection. He was a common criminal, and he was a murderer. He was a sinner, like me. He was a sinner like you. Sometimes we think about people who have broken laws. We think about people who have committed murder. We think about people who have addiction. People who are at the edge of society. I didn't mention it this morning, and it wasn't a part of my sermon, but I've got to take a moment because I didn't have enough time to talk about all the good things. How many of you were at the skate? park yesterday. Let me see your hands. I want you to notice even Charles and Nancy went to the skate park yesterday. Now, Nancy did not skate. I will, I will promise you. But the outreach, where's Brandon and Diana? They're here. Okay. Uh, this is our missionary to skateboarders. And we had, I don't know, we had over 80 people there in it. We may have had, Grant, 100 people in and out. It was the largest crowd that Brandon's ever had for one of his skateboard contests. And I had the opportunity as pastor of Faith NLR to walk among the crowd and talk about who we are and that this is our missionary and we're co-hosting this. Those are people that you and I will probably not see in any other fashion to share the love of God and they heard the gospel yesterday. Praise God! That was a tremendous outreach from our church. We need to be careful when we look at people and say, you look different, or he looks different, she looks different. We are all sinners saved by grace. We are the ones for whom Christ died. He died for Barabbas. I want you to notice his deliverance. It says of him that, Pilate released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Can you imagine Paul Barabbas sitting in that jail cell and Delane, they come for him. Guess what he thinks is about to happen? You see, Grant, he's not been a part of this discussion. He was not there. Nobody asked him, Kelly. But they come for him, knowing that he thinks it's time for his crucifixion. 
and instead they say, no, someone else has taken your place and you're going to be let go. Imagine the shock of that situation. I got to thinking about, Gail, how do you preach that? One of the problems with that picture, if you use that as a picture of salvation, you end up preaching Calvinism. Because he had no choice. Somebody else made the choice for him and brought him out of jail and set him free. There's no repentance, there's no conviction, and there's no conversion. Be nice if the Bible said that his life was different from that point on. But there's not a word in Scripture that talks about his life being any different than it was before Jesus died for him. Notice what's missing from the story. No conviction, no repentance, no mention of conversion. It is a question for the ages. Did Christ make any difference in the life of Barabbas? My question for you is, what difference has Christ made in your life? What do you want to be said at your funeral? He was a good old boy. She was a good girl. She was a good woman. I will tell you that my life makes no sense. The way I've spent my life makes no sense at all. It is unexplainable why I've done the things I have without Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of my life, my ministry, everything that I am, and everything that I've done is centered around Jesus. And I'm asking you, what difference has Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made in your life? Think about Barabbas. I think about his cross. It says, and they, as they led him away, they see one Simon of Cyrene. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach that sermon again. I already have. Who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. You understand, Gerald, that was Barabbas' cross. It was supposed to be his. Ginger, they gave, they gave Jesus Barabbas' cross. He carried Barabbas' cross. He died on the cross that was supposed to be the cross on which Barabbas died. Jesus died in his place. No. Jesus took my cross. He took my cross. He took my sins. He died in my place. And he died in yours. And I, for one, will never forget it. What about you? The other character then, I said three criminals and a centurion. There was the thief who died without Christ. It says in verse 32, chapter 23, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. 
Notice that thief and his opportunity. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Think about how close, Peter, he was to Jesus. He had an opportunity, basically, that we don't have. He saw Jesus face to face. He saw Jesus. He heard his voice in his own ears. He saw the Lord of glory crucified. So close. So close. But so far. I want you to notice his rejection. It says one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed that has made fun of him. I'm reminded sometimes, Aaron, that our teenagers don't necessarily get our terminology. We've heard that so long. Just in case you wonder that he scoffed means they made fun of him. Okay, sarcasm, cutting remarks. They scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Please understand that is not a statement of belief. That is pure sarcasm and not faith. He rejected him. So close, and yet he rejected him. If you reject Christ, if you, not just him, if you reject Christ, that means you are destined to be separated from Him forever in eternal suffering. Somebody says, that's not fair. Why would a loving God send somebody to hell? Charles, we preach the love of Christ so much that people only know that about Him. They do not know about the righteousness of God. They do not know about the justice of God. And because of that, they do not know about repentance and faith in God. I want you to understand, God does not send anyone to hell. But His wrath does come upon those who reject the sacrifice of His Son as an insufficient. You say, what does that mean? When you say, when you refuse to receive Christ as Savior, and you say, well, I'll be good enough. I'll do it myself. What you're doing is rejecting what Christ did as not enough for you. And when you reject what Christ did, you choose your own path, and you choose in rejecting Him, rejecting Christ, you send yourself to hell. I think about all those people yesterday, Brandon, who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I suspect that none of them heard it for the first time. And I wonder how many times they're going to have to hear it. Every time you reject the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you make it harder for you to believe the next time you hear it. What about you? How many times have you heard? 
How many times must you hear before you believe who He is and you trust Him for salvation? I need you to understand the condemnation of this thief who died without Christ. Said the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. Now, they were under the same sentence of condemnation when it came to the cross. They were dying on the cross because of what they had done. Jesus was not condemned the way they were condemned. He was condemned to die on the cross, though He was innocent. But they were condemned, especially this one who died without Christ, both of them at this moment are condemned to an eternity in hell. But salvation is available. In rejecting the salvation that was offered, in rejecting Christ, he condemned himself for an eternity. He died in his sins. There's a place in the Scripture, Grant, where Jesus said that you will die in your sins. And He says it three times. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You hear that? If you reject the suffering, the death, the payment that Jesus made, you will die in your sins and you are lost 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 oh the enormity of that word don't die in your sins trust jesus there is an example of that there is the dying thief who believed in jesus in chapter 23 verses 40 through 43 i want you to notice how he was saved first of all he confessed his guilt. The Bible says, But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of combination, condemnation? And get this, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Do you get that? He admitted that he was lost. He admitted his guilt. Listen, Nobody ever got saved until they got lost first. You understand that? Nobody ever got saved until they realized, Tony, that they were lost. We have to recognize our sin. We have to admit our sin. Salvation is a matter of repentance and faith. You don't hear much preaching about repentance anymore, Roger. That's not popular preaching. But there is no salvation without repentance of sin. You must acknowledge your sin. You must repent of your sin, turn away from it, and turn to Jesus. Now, I know he was fastened to a cross. It's not like he could come down. By the way, he couldn't come down and get baptized. So don't get the idea that it's baptism that saves you. I preach about tithing, but don't get the idea that it's tithing that saves you. I want you to be in church, but don't get the idea that it's coming to church that saves you. That thief could do none of the above. 
But what he did to Joseph in his heart, he turned to Jesus. He turned away from his sin, admitting his sin, and he turned to Jesus in faith. Notice his recognition of Jesus as the Christ. He said, he talked about his guilt. We're guilty. We've done this. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I, I could speculate. I, I wonder, Terry, I wonder if he had heard Jesus preach somewhere along the way. You ever thought about that? Gerald, I wonder if he ever saw any of Jesus' miracles. I know, Ginger, that he had heard the words of Christ on the cross. He heard everything that was said up to that time. And he followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And so he had a tremendous witness of who Jesus was. And in the next verse, he actually called out to Jesus, recognizing he was a king dying on a cross on the way to his kingdom. So I want you to notice his prayer of faith. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, Jerry, don't miss this. He's looking at a dying man. And he says, you're going to a kingdom? Glenn, that's great faith. Nobody else got it in that crowd at that moment, except those who had already trusted Christ. The other thief didn't get it. The people who crucified him at this moment, they don't get it. He looked at somebody who was dying and asked for help in the future from a dying man. In fact, Reese, he, I know you were looking at me. I called your name. She just jumped out of her skin. I'm not calling you down. You were looking, so I called you. Do you know that this guy died, that Jesus died before this man? I almost said it backwards, Grant. He died Jesus died first. And so Noah, he's, he's looking at Jesus dying, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. People read the Bible, people hear sermons, and they don't get what that thief understood. This is the Son of God. He has the power to save. I need saving. Save me. By the way, that's a pretty simple prayer, but it's enough. If you're here today and you've never been saved, that's enough of a prayer to admit that you need to be saved, that you've sinned, to believe that Jesus is capable of saving you because He's the Son of God and asking Him to save you. That's enough of a prayer to be saved. Notice his prayer, but then notice the promise. His promise from Jesus. And he said to him, truly I say to you. This, I should have put these words in red. This is Jesus talking. The he here is Jesus. Truly I say today, say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a promise. That's a miracle. Zach, that's a miracle promise. He's dying both of them, they're dying, but he said, you're going to be with me in paradise. He died beside the Savior 
He received Jesus as Savior, and after the second after he died, he was with him in paradise. That's a promise that every one of us have. If you are saved by faith in Christ, even being saved in the nick of time, that's God's promise to you, that you will be with Him in paradise. Then finally, I said three criminals and a centurion. I want you to think about the centurion who crucified Christ. By the way, did you realize that? A centurion, I understand, is a soldier, an officer in charge of a hundred soldiers. That he was the centurion at the cross made him the one who was in charge of the crucifixion. He was the one who crucified Christ, but then oddly enough, he confessed who Christ was. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. I want you to notice his conviction. It says of them in the NLT, it says that he and the other soldiers were terrified by the earthquake and by all that happened. I've thought about this a lot this week, and there is no way that I can express to you all that the emotion that God has poured through me this week on this one thought. But I want you to think about what that centurion saw. He saw Jesus proclaimed innocent three times by Pilate. He saw Jesus who was lashed with a whip almost to death, and yet he never asked for mercy. He never confessed to any wrongdoing. He endured the suffering. He endured the shame. He carried his cross as far as he could. He turned to the women after his cross had been given to Simeon of Cyrene. And he prayed for them, said, pray for yourselves, not for me. They took him to Golgotha. They laid the cross on the ground. They stretched him on the ground. The centurion watched as his men drove the nails through his hand and through his feet. But Chris, instead of asking for mercy for himself, he asked for mercy for them. He prayed for the men who drove the nails through his hands. They lifted him between heaven and earth on a cross. The Bible says, cursed is a man who dies on a tree. He was cursed for my sins and for yours. That Roman centurion stood and looked at the Son of God nailed to a cross. And he heard him cry out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They heard him. He heard him cry out, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. 
He heard him cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Cheryl, the centurion was there when God turned out the lights. When the sun refused to, to shine. In the middle of the day, James, the lights went out. The sun went dark. The darkness covered the land. When God the Father could not look at His Son because of my sin on Him, He made sure nobody else could look. Darkness came over the land. Jesus cried His last, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And there was an earthquake that rent the rocks. And the centurion having seen all of that, having seen what should have convinced anyone, came to the conclusion, truly, this was the Son of God. I think about all that God showed him to convince him, but I also think about all that God has shown you and has shown me. What is it going to take for the light to come on for you? I'm not just talking about being saved because the majority of the people under the sound of my voice are saved. You've trusted Christ, but not all of you. Not all of you. Some of you need to trust Christ. What's it going to take to bring you to the conclusion that you need to be saved to the conclusion that Jesus is the only way, to the conclusion that He wants to save you, to the conclusion that you want to be saved? What's it going to take? Be saved today. I said that my life makes no sense without the cross of Jesus. My question for you, if you're saved today, what are you going to do about the cross? What difference will the cross of Christ make in your life, in what you're doing, in how you're living, whether you're serving? What difference will the cross make? Make sure that you make the decision Today, now, that the Father wants you to make and that Christ the Son is asking you to make.